Hello and welcome everyone to Record of the Year with Chris. And Chris. The show where we analyze, criticize, and quantify a year's most notable releases in order to determine what was in fact the Record of the Year. This is the fifth episode of our first season in which we are focusing on the music of 1994. And in today's episode we will be discussing Portishead's brilliant release, Dummy. After which we will get into sort of a wrap-up and summary of our highs and lows of the first five episodes and the records we've discussed so far. That's right. I'm excited for that conversation. Yeah. Cool to get kind of a holistic overview of the season thus far. Yeah, and granted it's only five episodes, but it'll still be cool to see where everything shakes out. And we're going to plan to do that every five episodes mm-hmm. because there are five records we have previously covered on our Blue Album Battle Show from 1994. Right. Dummy is the first of those that we'll be discussing. So today will be somewhat of a shortened conversation about the record itself. If you want to hear a longer conversation about it, please feel free to go back in the archives and listen to our Blue Album Battle episode. I don't remember what number it was, but we both re-listened to it ahead of this. Yeah, it helped. It helped my decision making for sure. sure. It helped sort of uh, refresh everything, how I felt about the record at the time, and not too much has changed, to be honest. Right. Yeah. And that's a cool thing. It's the first time we're checking in. Have our feelings evolved at all? True. True. Plus, listen to that episode. It's a good episode. It was very fun. We really like this record. This is one I'm not like, oh God, I can't believe I have to talk about this again. It's not Jagged Little Pill, is it? No, it's not 16 (laughs) Stone, which we will be talking about later this season. Oh, that's gonna be fun. (laughs) So we'll take advantage of like every five episodes to do kind of a shorter album breakdown and then our score breakdown to see where we're at. What is currently our record of the year? Yeah. So we'll get into that later. But first... Portishead's Dummy released August 22nd, 1994. Of course, band members Beth Gibbons, the singer, not the angel horse or horse angel. (laughs) Go back and listen for context. (laughs) Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And uh, multi-instrumentalist Jeff Barrow and also guitarist Adrian Utley, who co-produced this record along with the band. I believe at this time, Adrian Utley, who plays guitar on the record, was not a proper member, but he officially joined the band soon after this album's release. Right, right. But he recorded on the record. Oh, he's all over it. Yeah, and co-wrote a lot of the songs. Um, The album sold nearly 4 million copies to date, which is actually more than I would have thought. Yeah, more than Nas by like a lot. Yeah, right, by a couple million. Actually, that's insane. That's fucked up. <laughs> I mean, not that it's not deserving, but it still surprises me. Yeah, yeah. It really does surprise me that this record has the popularity that it does. Yes. Or, or at the time, anyway. I think it's a signature record that is emblematic of an entire genre. Mm. And I think Illmatic's one of those. I yeah. think there are a couple of those that we'll be discussing this season. But this is absolutely one of those. Right. Hence, it's staying power. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into our categories. This is going to be a unique discussion for us, though, because I actually know your scores and you actually know my scores in advance because I wanted to kind of be able to collate all of our scores ahead of recording today. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to kind of almost probe each other about some of our scoring choices here in a way we never do because we always go in blind to these episodes. Yeah, which makes it so fun. So a little something different today. That's right. Uh, and I should note that despite selling 4 million records, Dummy only peaked at number 79 on the U.S. album chart. Did it do better in the U.K.? Uh, well, you know what? It was very well regarded in the U.K. I can't speak to chart position, but it did win the Mercury Prize for Album of the Year. Best oh, okay. British Album of the Year. Is which that is like a, the U.K. version of the Grammys, basically? It's like a, yes, exactly. And so that's kind of like a career-defining achievement no kidding. for their debut record here. And it's cool. There's another debut record along with Nas's Illmatic. Um, I just mentioned the Billboard charts. Before we get into our category breakdown, which of course are five categories, Chris, for those who are uh, new to the program. That would be production sound, average song score, vocals and lyrics, musicianship or musicality or musical prowess or 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 any of those things and then lastly but certainly not leastly uh listenability and legacy leastly we invent a lot of new words in this program i think we just got a new one hey listen if our if our ex-potus can say bigly i can say leastly okay (laughs) or embiggins um 
before we get into those, what was going on in late August 1994? This is the latest in the year album we've discussed so far. Yeah. So we've got some newcomers and uh, a couple of stayers. So let's see. You want to do songs or albums first? Whatever you got there, Chrissy. We're going right. to do a little Chrissy Guess This in reverse, a little younger to elder. All right. Chrissy you want to go this. one, two, three, four, five for songs? Yes. Okay. Chrissy Guess This. Number one song in the week of August 20th, 1994. The safest bet is always Ace of Base, The Sign, but I doubt it's number one right now. No, it's not. I'll give you a spoiler. Please. Ace of Base is not in the top five. Okay. They've left. Okay. Sad to see them go. I guess. Back to Scandinavia. Sure. Away with thee. <laughs> I was about to try to do some sort of Scandinavian accent. I'm glad you steered clear. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I'll give you another hint. This is the wife of someone who is married to a famous child of a famous musician from the, the 70s. So it's a female artist. Correct. This is a Along woman. with someone else. But the... the the headliner is a, is a female artist. Wow, I am confounded right now. That was a very complicated clue for what it's I know. It might have <laughs> I know. And I'm surprised that I even know that they're uh, they're married. Honestly, hmm, I don't know. Okay, so it's stay. Oh, I, I missed you by Lisa, Lisa Loeb, Loeb and Nine, Nine Stories. Stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I believe she was a Brown University right down the road here. Really, a Brown University yeah. student. Yeah. yeah. Somehow I don't really know how I know that she was married to Dweezil Zappa. That's right. Yeah. Wow, that is a very obscure hint. I know. (laughs) (laughs) That was like a Chrissy the Elder hint. And I'd be like, I don't fucking know. Anyway, number two. We're going a little bit more in the realm of R&B here. Mm -hmm. Late 94, or summer of 94. Janet? No, it is a male group. Oh, Boys to Men. Yes. Uh, Maybe on, on Bended Knee? Close. Oh, I'll, uh, make, I'll love make love to you. To you. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Nice. Very good. We'll be talking about that record later this season, by the way. Boys to Men 2. Can't, can't wait. It's I can't either. <laughs> Boys to Men 2. That's right. Okay. Number three. We're staying on the, the R&B hip hop track with uh-huh. number three. Oh, Salt and Pepper? No. Not in vogue. Because uh, What a Man was on our last list, but that was months previous. Oh, boy. Mm. Think uh, Dreadlocks. Oh. I Crazy mean, I, Dreadlocks. I usually do. <laughs> not Lenny Kravitz no crazy dreads kind of spiky oh. spiky dreads no Busta Rhymes wasn't a thing here it's too early it's Coolio oh Coolio Fantastic it's Voyage Fantastic Voyage oh good one yeah absolutely now this is a song that I don't actually know this is a legacy act okay um, any guesses from 94 August 94 oh man a, a male or female group or person uh, it's a male artist. Male artist. Oh, man. They've gone by many names, but at this point, they have officially transitioned to... I don't know how to dis- say it. Not the it artist it. formerly known as Prince. No, no. That's a good guess. Symbol? It's uh, John... Oh, John Mellencamp. Yes. Very, Wild Night. Very good. Yes. Very good. It's featuring Michelle Nangiacello. <laughs> well done. Face. Very well Of course, done. a Van Morrison cover. <laughs> And uh, last but not least, we are going back again to R&B. R&B, very popular in the summer oh God, of 94. killing. Well, because it's hot times. You know, you need the hot music for the hot times. I agree. Speaking of hot times, how about that Usher halftime show? Ooh! Oh, my goodness. Him Get with it. Alicia? My oh, God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was more into when, when uh, Luda popped up. I know. He's my, he's my dude. <laughs> yeah. I love Luda. And, of course, we're recording this literally on a snow day. <laughs> yeah. We're recording during the day on Tuesday. Hopefully... You'll be hearing this on Friday. We'll see how fast my editing Fingers goes. Fingers crossed. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, the opposite of a hot day. Um, I don't know. Just tell me. I Swear by All For oh, One. Yeah, that's a good one. 
That's a good That's one. Funny. I think we'll talk about that on our singles episode. Maybe Fantastic Voyage will get on there too. That's a good song. Sure. Uh, to be honest, Run I don't even. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. Slippity slide. When you live in the city, it's do or die. Oh my God. They should get Coolio to host the, to do the halftime show. What do you think about that? <sighs> Talk about washed up. Oh no, up. he died. Oh, he did? <laughs> <laughs> no, of course oh, do we just why? have. Do we that's just... my left eye moment. <laughs> <laughs> Oh that's boy. a that's a major callback. Go back and listen to our teal episode of Wee's Talking Wee's to the <laughs> one of my favorite sessions of ever recording a podcast oh with Chrissy God. and our good friend Pete Cameron. Oh no, he died. Coolio did. He died. Oh no, when did he die? Uh September of 2022. Oh, recently. Yes. What was the, what's the cause of death? I don't know. I dare not look. Oh. Oh no. Oh really? Fentanyl o- overdose. Yikes. Oh, boy. Well, anyways, on a brighter note, why don't we get into the out top five albums uh, yeah, yeah, of, please. of that Save month. us. So, you know all of these. Okay, that's exciting. Two of which are movie soundtracks. Mm. It's the top two, actually. Forrest Gump soundtrack? That's number two. Very good. Nice. Can you take a guess at number one? Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Very good guess, but no. This Think more family-friendly. Lion King. Yes. Nice. Very impressive. You're so good at this. All right. I'm redeeming myself. I did not do so well in the songs, but this is better. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Number three. The, by the way, the reason I know the Forrest Gump soundtrack, and by the way, Stay by Lisa Loeb should have come to mind, because I play in a band currently on that's based out of Martha's Vineyard. Mm. How fancy, right? But the only other time I went there before joining this band, really, was in the summer of 94 with a friend's family. To go see Lisa Loeb? No, no, no. But that was the biggest song at the time. Oh. So that was all over the radio. Every time we were in the car was that Lisa Loeb Stay. Mm-hmm. Additionally, I saw Forrest Gump on Martha's Vineyard that summer. Oh, wow. Yes, and the World Cup was going on as well. So it was just like a really intense summer for like pop culture. Yeah, a lot of And memories. it was the first time I was away from my family, you know, mm. without them. So it was like a very formative time. It was the first time I ever saw a boob. Oh, my God. A big time. In real life. In real life boob, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Real life boob. <laughs> a real life boob. I jumped off the Jaws bridge. Everything. It was a real rite of passage my week. My God. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, so this is a very formal. <laughs> that's why I was like, oh, Forrest Gump for sure. Yeah, for sure, and it's a great soundtrack. Incredible, so much good stuff on there. So number three, they're back. They, Not Backstreet. They have, no, they have <laughs> staying power. Jesus Christ, staying power. This should be very obvious, and I'm just blanking. Maybe it's too clever. The sign. Oh, by Ace of oh, Base. Oh, 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 thank God. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're still not completely in gone. No, not at all. Good. And this is another one we've seen in the past earlier, so a little bit more staying power as well. Number four, Regulate. Nice. Warren G, yeah. Oh, the record. Mm-hmm. The G-Funk G-Funk era. G-Funk era. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then, closing it out, number five, down from its position apparently from the previous week, but still in the top five, a record we have discussed. Oh, okay. Purple. Indeed. Yeah. Nice, because that came out in June. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. So that's our top okay, five. Run through that one more time just for the listeners. Number one, Lion King soundtrack. Number two, Force Gump soundtrack. Number three, The Sign, Ace of Bass. Number four, G-Funk Era slash Regulate by Warren G. And last but not least, Purple by Stone Temple Pilots. Awesome. Yeah. I think we will probably cover one of those Elton John singles when we do a singles episode. He was number six on the singles. Oh, yep. cool. Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Mm-hmm. Or, uh, let or the me. Other it probably was. Let me pull up the other tab here. Yes, it was Can You Feel the Love Tonight. Nice, nice. Yep, yep, yep. Cool. Well, let's see how much love we feel for this record. Dummies, Dummies Portishead. Dummies Portishead. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I'm a dummy. You're fine. Oh, my goodness. Well, okay, so I'm calling up your scores right here. Sure. And you've got mine there. Mm -hmm. Let's get into our first category, production, which, of course, is sound and sequencing. 
Now, I see here you gave it an 8. I sure did. And you gave it a whopping 9 out of 10. I am actually more curious, why so low for you? Because I think this is a beautifully produced record with a great sound. And obviously, production is central to the execution of this record. Mm -hmm. And they do it beautifully. Yes. And I believe you gave Illmatic a 10 for production. So why is this two fewer than that? Because of the sequencing. Yes. It's a lot of samey sounds. And... Looking back at it, I probably knocked it maybe a little bit too much compared to Illmatic because Illmatic also has some samey sounds. But that being said, though, I feel like Dummy is samier than Illmatic is. Do you think that has to do with hooks more than sameness of sound? Yes, very much so. Right. Because there really are so few hooks in Dummy. Yes. Um, there are. It's, it's laden with melody. It's not like devoid right. of melody and right. signature riffs, samples, etc. Beats. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have those represents. It doesn't have those. You know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't absolutely. have those just like anthemic chorus moments. Exactly. With with the exception of Glory Box. That's right. basically the only song that has a hook. Well, you know what? I think uh, Sour Times with Just Want to Be a Woman mm. would be considered a hook. I think we pointed out on the Blue Album Battle episode that like half these songs, the title is not the chorus. Right. Which really affects the kind of memorability of some of these songs. 100%. You know, 100%. what is Biscuit? What is Pedestal? What are these songs? Yeah, absolutely. You know? And the only reason I know is because I've listened to it so many of times. Of course. But it, if we were judging this the same way we judge other records where I've only listened to it for a couple of weeks to prepare, I wouldn't be able to tell you what song is what. Right. You know? And I think that's a knock. For Add sure. it, you know? Two points worth of a knock? Maybe I should have given it one and a half. Maybe it's closer to like an 8.5. I gave it five out of five for production right. because I think this is one of the best sounding records of the era and still sounds incredible. And in fact, I think there's a case to be made in situations where an artist is so high in one half of this equation. Vocals and lyrics, for instance. Mm. Nas is such a good lyricist that I don't care that he doesn't sing on the record. He gets a high score from me. Right. This is such a well-produced record. Agreed. Even though this is a very of-its-time genre, a very Mm -hmm. 90s genre, you tell me these drum sounds, these bass sounds, these guitar tones, the way they record her vocals and treat it, it sounds as fresh today as it did in 1994. Couldn't agree more. So it almost like it deserves bonus points for that achievement. I'm with you, yeah. Eight's fine, don't get me wrong, but it's just one of those... Yeah, I just knocked it for the sameness and and the fact that it could have been resequenced. There, there's like roads. Roads should have 100% been towards the end of the record, mm. if not the closer. I mean, it should have been the closer. There's no question. It yeah. should have been the closer. And Glory Box probably should have been more front loaded because it's a better song and it's bigger. But it, granted, they put it at the end because it gives you that sort of rejuvenation. Yeah. Um, it's a cool closer. It is not your stereotypical closer. Right. And with on an album with a song like Roads, which we'll talk about more as we get into our songs, it's a little bit confounding mm-hmm. that it, that wasn't the obvious closer. If for no other reason, then I just feel bad for the songs that follow it directly. Yeah. Because I like those songs a lot, but they really suffer from not being roads. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm with you 110%. Honestly. It needs to be a closer because that's the last thing I want to hear. Yeah. Because Glory Box has that weird fade out where she's like still singing. It like very yes. much like crooner era, like a, I don't know, like a, I don't know, Wayne Newton song or something where it like fades out during a chorus where he's still singing, you know? Yeah. Like that's not really a common thing to hear anymore. Not these days. And even at that time. And so it was just a, that was an odd production choice. In Sorry, my that shows how old I am that I actually meant in 1994. Meaning that's a 60s thing. Right. That's like a, we don't have an ending and it needs to be under three minutes thing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And that's not the case here, but uh, I actually think it's a cool choice, but a weird way to end an album. Yes. 
you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not against it as like a choice unto itself, but I do think it's a little bit head yeah. scratching. So then all of those factors, yeah, I guess that's why I knocked it the two points, just because it could have been resequenced. Um, there are a lot of choices that the sameness knocks it because you can rearrange a lot of the songs and it doesn't matter. Right. And I think that is not a great thing in terms of variety and just like the listenability of everything. Is that not the nature though of being a genre artist? Mm. Because this is trip hop, a kind of a limited genre as genres go, much like punk, much like hip hop, much like reggae, much like country, where you kind of listen and go like, okay, cool. It's another reggae song. Mm-hmm. It's got to have great lyrics, a great hook, a great singing, whatever, to kind of differentiate itself. Because if you just like heard it in the background, it would all kind of sound like the same song. Yeah. Same for a lot of punk rock as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, Dookie suffers from the same problem. Absolutely, here. it does. Yeah. Dookie, Illmatic, and and Dummy all have that sort of sameness with within themselves. And like, say what you will about alternative rock music and how well it's aged or whatever. But I love that on an album like STP's Purple, you have songs like Meat Plow Still Remains and Pretty Penny all sitting side by side. Right. And they're all completely different. Completely different and complementary and creating a more compelling kind of listening experience. Exactement. But I don't blame Portishead for fitting within a genre and sound. Mm -hmm. This is what they were going for and they achieved it. In fact, I love the coherence of the record. I love that I can put it on and just be kind of cocooned. 100%, man. By this oral space. Yep, absolutely. There are albums that you kind of, like the White Album, by the Beatles, where you're just like, I just want to be on edge. I just, I never know what's happening. I don't know if I have to like turn up my radio or turn it down. You know, it, kind yeah, of, yeah. it depends on the song. This like is an one, action movie where the action sequences are way too loud, loud and you can't hear the dialogue. Yes. Hate that. Yes. And this is the opposite of that. Mm. And so I don't knock it for that. It's doing what it's supposed to be right. doing. Weirdly, an album that I don't particularly like that we've discussed in Blue on Battle Days, Sublime by mm. Sublime, is a genre record that has a lot of variety. A hundred percent. It's actually a pretty good example of that. Yes. Where within the kind of ska reggae, groovy thing, hippie, jammy stuff. Every song kind of has its own signature. Yes. It's probably too many songs, but like they do a pretty good job. Not for me. (laughs) (laughs) And I think STP is a band that's really good at that within the alternative genre as well. Like better than Nirvana, better than Pearl Jam. I think STP's, you know, at the top end of kind of that. Variety. Yes. Cohesive variety. Right. So, uh, Nine for me, eight for you. Both very good scores. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It does. I'm with you, though. It kind of almost does deserve this like bonus point for just how goddamn good it all sounds. I think this will be in probably my top five favorite sounding albums at the end of this season. Probably. Yeah. Because I really like love a superlative kind of deal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me yeah. too. It, it, it still sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday. Right. And the recording style, I talked about it in the Blue Album Battle episode, just like the fact that they were recording real instruments onto analog vinyl yeah. and then distressing and replaying and mixing. It's like, it's on the same level as a hip hop record where they like just that style of, of mastery and mixing. It's, uh, it's good stuff. And manages to keep it organic, even though it's a very fabricated record right. in a lot of ways. Right. And in the opposite of hip hop in that it's, it's all samples, like they're sampling themselves. Which, right. which is a big deal. Yeah, it's an amazing thing that they pulled off here. I think it's a great sounding record, but I agree that the sequencing suffers. Uh, we'll get into the song score real quick, and we always like to talk about opening tracks. And um, let's actually dig into that, okay? Let's first give our overall song score and then talk a little bit about it on a track-by-track basis, or at least a score-by-score basis. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that we were relatively close we are, in our song yes, score. very Only closely like aligned here. 0.4 away from each other. I gave it a 7 0.82 for average song score out of, what is it? Is it 10 or 11 songs? I always forget. 11. Yeah, so 7.82 for me. 
8.23 for you, so yes. 0.41, sorry. Um, but yeah, very, very closely aligned there. But it's mostly, I'm more curious to, to talk about the spread, mm. um, not necessarily the average. Because for me, I feel like in general, I tend to be more polarized. I tend to give a lot of 10s, a lot of really, really high scores for songs that I'm just like, oh yeah, that's a great song. It's got to be a 10, whereas you're a little bit more reserved. So I tend to have a bigger spread here. My lowest score was 6.5, Mr. Ron's, the opening track. Right. It's, it's my least favorite song on the record, and then my highest is a 10. So a spread of three and a half, which is not that big. What about you? Where, where, where do you land? Well, I had the same spread, though I have a different lowest score. We both had the same highest score because Rhodes was a 10 for me and that's my favorite song of the season so far if we have the same spread and we both gave 10 how is it possible that we have a different lowest score sorry a different song got it yeah okay yeah, yeah sorry <laughs> poorly said no you're good you're good mr. i was just Ron's, confused because mr ron's i gave a 7.5 not mm. a heart song but not certainly one of my favorites on the record uh it's a fire for me is a 6.5 okay. you gave it okay. a 7.5 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. obviously neither of us is a gog about it <laughs> but uh you got them good words boy oh yeah gog's one of the greats um mr ons let's talk about that as an opener a 6.5 yeah. and a 7.5 respectively is there a song you would rather have opened this record Ooh, that is a good question that i honestly never even thought about probably sour times be cool just because it's a bigger hit it's a little more catchy a little more hooky and uh yeah i feel like it would be stronger that being said though you know I don't mind a, the, a type of interlude song, which somehow Mr. Ons kind of feels like because it has that... At five minutes and five seconds, it's tough to call maybe, it an interlude, okay, fair. but I know what you mean. Yeah. It, it never takes off. It, no, it's yeah. so level. Like, there's no rise and fall in, like, the soundscape or the volume or anything like that. And uh, it has that really odd, like, sci-fi sound. Like, they use whatever that instrument is called. Well, the theremin, right? The, yeah, the theremin. that they would use in like Star Trek and things like that. And I know that was the whole goal, if I'm not mistaken, behind that song. I think they wrote it like for... I believe uh, a Mr. On is a character from a sci-fi thing from the 60s. Yep. We should probably know more about that if we're recording a podcast, but whatever. Ah, pish posh. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, you're on fire today with these these quips and these words. Uh, I actually think um, Glory Box would have been a cool opener too. The fade-in opening would have mm. been kind of cool. And by the way, I love Sour Times as a second track. You know, I liked kind of the hot second track, mm. and I think that, uh, you know, achieves that pretty well. I can't think of another track on the record, though, that screams opener here. And while I think Mr. Ons opens this record perfectly fine, it's a great tone setter, and we like a tone setter. Yeah. This will not be in the discussion at the end of the season for favorite album openers no, by any stretch. No. In fact, when we get into our kind of score breakdown at the end of this episode, we really have not had a great opener yet. Hmm. Yeah. We have not had a great one. In fact, the scores have been consistently low in the opening track. Right. Yeah, because Nas doesn't open with 
<laughs> New York State of Mind. Oh, that would be no brainer. That'd be like the best right, opener right. maybe of the season, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. It opens with an intro because of course it does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the 10 now. Oh. So I was trying kind of because we both to, because we both gave it a 10. Yeah. Did you give any other 10s? I didn't I didn't look at your song breakdown. Oh, okay. I did not. Okay, so it, it's Rhodes. Yes, for both of us. Yes. Oh. Can't anybody see? We've got a wall to fight Never find our way Regardless of what they say How can it feel this wrong? From this moment How can it feel this wrong? Yeah, so we, we've gushed about this song a decent amount, both mm. on our Portishead Dummy Blue Album Battle episode and our um, season finale of Blue Album Battle back in the day, where it was definitely among our top 10 favorite songs mm-hmm. of our season. Yeah. This is my favorite song we've discussed so far on this show. Really? It will be in... What? I've only given one other 10, if you remember. I am trying to remember. Wasn't it New York State of Mind? No, nah, The World is Yours. Oh, The World is Yours. Okay, okay. But I like this more than that. I gave that a 10 because I love it and I think it's a perfect hip-hop song. I gave this a 10 because I love it and I think it's a perfect song. (laughs) Yeah. I wrote in my notes, it's the only song on the record. Mm. Like, everything else has this very, like, atmospheric, kind of drony type thing, but this feels like a proper song with a proper melody, a proper hook, verses and choruses, and then it ends. Yeah, it's the only real song, in my opinion. It, it, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, I know what you mean. It feels like you could sit around and play this song. Right. And I don't know if you feel that way about most of the other tracks on this record, mostly because I think the foundation is organically a band performing mm-hmm. in a way that you don't hear elsewhere on the record. Right. And the fact that they use the strings. It surprises me that they didn't use strings more throughout the record. But at the same time, maybe it wouldn't have had the effect. This song, Rhodes, would not have had the effect that it does. You got to think, too, this is a small band. This is their first album. It's not like they had a huge budget to get orchestral stuff. You know, it wasn't really until their second album and then the Rosalind Live album later in the 90s, the live performance with an orchestra, a string orchestra, that they really engaged with that part of their sound. And it's, I mean, it's magnificent. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. But yeah. they were they were content to use string samples like yeah. you hear on uh, Glory Box. I was going to say, record. I was just about to say, I remember that it is in Glory Box as well. Mm-hmm. And Wah Guitar in that as well. Oh yeah. So there's only two songs that have string and Wah Guitar. <laughs> there you go. The yeah. two best songs on the record. Right. I guess we like strings and Wagatar, bro. I guess so. <laughs> Wagatar, bro. Wagatar, bro. Wagatar, bro. That's some good guitar, wa. I like that. And I love the thing about Rhodes. I love her singing, of course, um, on Immaculate. this song. Immaculate. Just the vulnerability and emotionality, another new word, um, that, uh, that she brings to this song, Beth Gibbons. Incredible. And 
a rare achievement, an emotional song, a powerful song that's also funky. Yeah. Like when Clive Deemer's drums come in and the bass and that wah guitar and everything, I mean, you you can dance to this thing if you were so inclined, if you were like the most emo, dancey dude ever. <sighs> yeah. And I love that because I love groove music and I love emotional music and I love the Fender Rhodes and I love singing like she's doing here. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it just checks. This is why I love it. It most thoroughly checks the boxes that make me love music. 100%. Couldn't agree more. You know? Very well said. As much as I appreciate what Stonehome Pilots do and even the craft of Green Day and obviously the genius of Nas as a lyricist, this is direct line to my heart and it's well played and well crafted, well written, well produced. It's got everything. Yep. Nailed it. I don't know what else to say about it. We both gave um, Glory Box a 9.5, so that's mm-hmm. a very high score for close us in 19. Very, very close, close second. second. And just a classic. I mean, Glory Box is the most popular song from this record. And I, probably their only, probably their biggest song ever. For sure. 200 million streams on Spotify. In fact, I first started these notes, knowing that we were doing this as our fifth episode well in advance. I started these notes probably a month ago. And originally my note said 193 million streams. So within the past month or so, They've gotten over 200 million streams. Wow. You know, they've kicked up another seven. That shows the endurance of this song. Yeah. That shows that people are still into it. And I don't know if it was because of its use in The Killer. I don't think many people saw Fincher's The Killer, but it was used beautifully no, in actually. that movie. That's weird. And you like Fincher. And you have I do. Seen. That shows how not popular that movie was. <laughs> I think it's just because it's a great fucking song and it's aged well and people are still like, ooh, what's that? Right. right. <laughs> you know? You know, it's a fun question. This is completely off topic and maybe our listeners will appreciate this. Feel free to cut this out if you want. But... We, I was at a staff meeting the other day at my new job and the, we were trying to get to like know a lot of people because it was people from other branches and stuff. And the question was like, once you finish introducing yourself, what is the most overrated movie and what is the most underrated movie? And that is a great question. That is. You know what everyone's response was for most overrated movie? Hmm. It, it was like... It's got to be a really popular movie. Um, I don't know, Barbie. That was a, that's a good guess, but I don't think that's overrated at all. No I, I, Barbie's great. I loved it, but I'm saying just because it was so Incredibly everywhere. rated. Incredibly rated. Yes. Yeah. I said Oppenheimer as my most overrated. <laughs> <laughs> you went the other half of the equation. I did. Yeah, because it is. I haven't seen it yet. It's good, but it's overrated. Nice. But no, everyone was saying the Fast and Furious franchise just because- I think, I think those- That's weird. Well, there's 10 of them, yeah. and they just keep coming out, and they just keep making money, and everyone right. loves them. Right. I shouldn't say everyone, but they're fucking popular. The trouble is, though, I don't think most people would point to that in those movies and say, those are masterpieces. They just right. like them. Right. Whereas there are popular movies that people say are masterpieces, like Avatar, for instance, mm. which I think obviously is one of the highest gross movies of all time, and people seem to love I've never even seen it, so I have nothing to say about it from my personal perspective. It's it is incredibly I'm, overrated. Right. But it's like not a great movie, but it's... The only reason it was such a high grossing movie is because of the time it came out. And people wanted to see that. Yeah. And people theater. wanted to go to IMAX because yeah. nothing like that had ever come out before, and it's just like such a lame storyline. Right. It really is. I didn't see the second one. Uh, what was your underrated movie? Um, Somewhere Beyond the Pines. What? Place Beyond the Pines? Or The Place Beyond the Pines. With yeah, Ryan Gosling? Yeah. I've and, never seen it. And Bradley it. Cooper. But somehow I know the title more than <laughs> I'm impressed. You should see that movie. I should. I always remember that it was good. And I, so good. It's just so good. A close second would probably be like Casino. But oh. everyone knows Casino. But underrated because it's, you know, I, it's not as good as Goodfellas. We would agree with that. Not, uh, I don't think it borderline. is. Borderline. It's close. If Goodfellas didn't exist, it'd be rated more highly. Do you agree with that? Yes. I agree with that. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a great choice. Oh, thank you. Honestly. But, but anyway, everyone go see The Place Beyond the Pines. Oh, there you go. It's very good. There you go. But anyway, fun, fun question. Any, a very fun question. What kept Glory Box from being a 10 for you? Because it's not as good as Rose. 
I don't know. That was kind of like where I was at. I was like, if I'm going to give Rhodes a 10, like technically, in my opinion, Glory Box could have been a 10 or like a 975. We don't really give quarter points in general. Mm-hmm. We haven't. Um, if there was to be a quarter point um, allotment, this would be the one. Mm-hmm. But I figured, I, I just figured there's no way, I they're just not on the same level. So I can't make them the same level, like yeah. in a in a vacuum. Yet on Illmatic, you gave three tens. Yes. Did that logic not come into play there? I'm just I'm just curious. I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I'm just curious. Well, the three tens that I gave on Illmatic, I all like the same. Okay. So there's yeah that. Yeah, yeah I see. Like so they all is... they all hit on the same caliber, whereas Glory Box is like just a step down from Rhodes because technically Rhodes isn't even a ten. It's almost like a ten five. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's just that good. Yeah. Um, so it almost needs to have like a superlative. That was the hardest decision for me to make in my scoring was like, what does Glory Box get? Is it 10 or nine and a half? Right. So kind of a roundabout answer, a bit of a, a politician answer to that one, but... It makes sense to me. Yeah. You have to be able to distinguish it and you can't go higher than 10 for roads, so you got to go lower than 10 for Glory right. Box. That makes sense And to we me. don't do quarter points, so... There you go. One tiny little skosh below. For me, 9.5 was just uh, the stylized vocal. She's... Doing more of an affectation in mm, her vocal yeah. area, almost a Billy Holiday. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. She really, there's maybe numb. She kind of sings like that, but generally speaking, it's just kind of she sounds like Beth Gibbons on right. this record. And that's one where she's almost trying to sound like someone else. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, she's doing a character or a voice of some kind, right? Which is the only I thing I thought I'd about it that. For. That's a good. I like that. But I love the use of this, the Isaac Hayes sample there. I love the lyrics. I love the performance. Just there's so much about it that I love. And the guitar solo. Holy shit. Ooh. Mm. very like just nice surprises yeah you know at that stage of the record the last track on the record you're like oh shit there's great guitar in this record i think it's an underrated guitar album because the tones are incredible Mm -hmm. and every choice is like well made right even if it's just like a little noodle you know just popping in in a verse you're just like that's the perfect little noodle yeah wait noodles from the offspring was on this noodles sat in and and dexter Sing some background vocals, I believe, on a pedestal. Um, so I was about to do a Dexter. Voice. Oh my God! Can you? I'm so tired. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> Those guys seem really charming, but I've been following them on Instagram because we made our record of the. By the way, if you're interested, follow us record of the year underscore podcast on Instagram. But uh, so I've been following all the bands that we're doing at some point this season, and like uh, videos will pop up. I think they have a podcast even. Oh, and nice. Videos of you know Dexter talking to Noodles. I was like, man, these guys are very likable. Yeah, I, they really are. I don't really know them at Way all. Way more likable than like Billy Joe Armstrong, who's just real at this point annoying. <laughs> it's funny because the other two dudes are great. Oh my god, yeah. Mike Durant and Trey Cool are the best. They are good. Billy entries. Joe is annoying. Uh oh, he's just so full of himself. Well, he literally has a huge head. Actually, like, his, like head. his head is. I remember uh, our buddies uh, Andy and Pete went to meet them back at like a record store in the late '90s when Warning well, came out. So maybe wow. in 2000. 2000. They went to an autograph signing, and uh, <laughs> I believe that Andy had a failed test from a science class, <laughs> and he had Billy Joe's. You know, you have to have it signed by your parents. He had Billy. He had them sign it. That's incredible. <laughs> That's a great story. But I remember Andy's other report. And I bet he was like, "Fuck yeah!" Oh, it was like the best thing. I wish I was there. But the other thing that Andy pointed out was like, also Billy Joe Armstrong's head is like, Andy has a big head. No offense, brother. I love you. I know you're listening. His head, he's like, his head was like twice the size of mine. He had a huge dome. <laughs> Jesus. It's true. It looks like he's, he's like a lollipop. Like a bobblehead. <laughs> yes. Oh, bobblehead Billy Joe. Um, we talked about your lowest score. Let's talk a little bit about mine. Mm. It's a fire, which also was not a super high score for you. This is a song that 
has just never cohered for me as a listener the way the other tracks have on this record. I think it sounds a little bit different than the rest of the tracks. It's a fire These dreams that pass me by This salvation I desire Keeps getting me down Cause we I just never thought it was quite as well written and could never quite figure out why. So I said about it, I was like, you know what? I didn't learn this whole record because I knew we wouldn't be going as deep. And frankly, it's just kind of weird music. And I, I don't know, it seemed hard. Yeah. <laughs> but this one, I was like, what the hell's going on here that keeps me at a distance from it? Mm -hmm. And it's partly the sonics, don't get me wrong. I love the intro string sample. I like a lot about that. I think she sings it great. But when I actually sat down to learn it, it's amazing how much harmonic ground this covers. I'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's part of the reason that I can never quite settle into this song because mm. it's kind of just ever unfolding. And again, that's kind of cool. I like unique song craft. Right, right. But I don't know if this is successful in doing this. Nothing ever really resolves. Nothing resolves. So like the song starts with that string sample. It's an F6 to an E7 sus4. Really nice sound, very cool. But then once the singing starts, we are C to G to E minor to G. Great, no problem there. Right, that makes Common sense. progression. Then we throw an F. We like that, that's sweet. Back to a G sus4, resolving to G. And then E minor G, F. All vocabulary we've heard, this all makes sense. We're probably in the key of G, throwing in an F, maybe we're in the key of C. Then all of a sudden, E major, whoa! Where'd that come from? Because like it's in the key of G, technically. You know what? The F makes us in C, but I feel like G is home. So mm. it's kind of interesting. Maybe it's the G mixolydian kind of thing. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we go to B major. Now, you could justify B major if we were in the key of E minor, because that's the fifth. You'd be like, oh, that's kind of like the borrowed chord from E minor. That's how we get to E minor. But then the next chord is G sharp minor. G sharp minor. We were literally just hearing eight Gs. Right, so that's technically the, the minor second, which is the worst. Yeah, so we're in B here, for sure. We move then to an F-sharp major, then F-sharp minor. I think that's a cool move, but like, what? C-sharp minor, sweet. G-sharp major? We just heard a G-sharp minor. What is happening, people? <laughs> then, Chris is losing it. F-sharp major, C-sharp major. We just had a C-sharp minor. What is happening, people? <laughs> B. F sharp major, C sharp, B, F sharp major, C sharp, and then back to the intro, which is an F6. There is not an internal logic to this chordal movement. It is weird chords, perhaps, for the sake of weird chords. Mm. That is why I can't quite wrap my head around. I, don't have, I can't figure out this song's center. And this is not because I learned it. It's how I always felt about it. And then I learned it to figure out why I felt that way and said, oh, it's probably because there's no tonal center. And I never feel settled. Yeah, it's just all over the place. Now, now, there's a place in music for rhapsodic 
structure. Mm -hmm. Things that just unfold and never go back to the A section, never go back to the B section, never hit the chorus again, whatever. I dig that. That's cool, you know? But this is maybe aiming towards that, but not quite landing it. And that's maybe what doesn't work for me. Plus, I just don't really like the organ sound in the song. I think it's too aggressive in the Leslie usage. I think it's too prominent in the mix. In fact, the next song, Numb, uses an organ in an amazing way with stabs and swells and really sits nicely in that mix. I just think it's a fire. I mean, there is a reason. This is not on the UK and European releases of Dummy, and it's not on the vinyl. So for them, it was like when they needed to think about running time or whatever, they thought, yeah, that's the first one to go. And I think it was the right choice. Yeah. It's still a 6.5 because it's intriguing. Very much so. She sings it great. It is a cool song. But up against stuff like Glory Box, Sour Times, Roads, it's like, ah, yeah, you know. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's something to be said about the lowest scoring song being a 6.5. That speaks to the quality of this record. Yep. Again, not a skip fa. Nowhere close, right? A skippability factor would be anything below a four for us. Yeah. This is like totally fine in this flow. But I actually think the record does flow better probably without it. Yeah, there you go. Another knock at... Uh, that's why I gave it an 8 out of 10. On yeah, the, on the sequencing. The yeah. Yep, that makes sense. Um, anything else we want to say about song score? I was somewhat surprised about my scores for Biscuit and Pedestal, which are definitely... They suffer the fate. I kind of mentioned it earlier. They suffer the fate of being after Rhodes and yeah. not being Rhodes. Yeah, I gave Pedestal 7 and Biscuit an 8. Which are fine scores. And I gave it an 8 and 9, respectively. I think Biscuit is like just sneaky one of the coolest songs on this record. Agreed, agreed. I mean, that is a sick sounding, menacing track right there. An expressive vocal, some desperate lyrics, Sin Slave of Sensation. I love that. And it's just, I'm scared, got hurt a long time ago. I can't make myself heard. And of course, our beloved, A Mother's Son Has Left Me Sheer, that we really dug into on our Yeah, that was my lyric episode. of note. It's a great, great lyric. And twisted sample use here Johnny Ray's I'll Never Fall in Love Again. which is really like a 60s bubblegum kind of song, but they slowed it down to 16 BPM. Jeez. To just give it this twisted, dark, menacing... Very nine-inch nails. But, oh my God. It's so well used. If it was earlier in the record, I think it would be more recognized by the general public. It is not a particularly heavily streamed song from this record, but it's the type of song that if I was just in the world and it was on, I would absolutely be shazamming it. Oh, or, there you go. Or being like, hold on, what the fuck is this? Yeah. I love this. You know, and I feel the same way about Pedestal. They just suffer from sameness. Yeah, you know? I'm with you, 100%. Very cool song. So overall, very good song scores for us. Chris, say your song score again, if you don't mind. 7.82. And mine was 8.23. Yeah. Not yeah. the highest we've had, but not the lowest we've had. No, not I by think mine. very fair. Mm-hmm. Now, another, another tangent for you. When you think Biscuit, what do you think of? 
the song? No, no. The oh, word, oh, when oh. I say the word biscuit, if we're doing like... Uh, oh, yeah. Word association. Word association, yeah. KFC. Okay, there you go. So you're thinking like biscuits and gravy. That's right. Or, or chicken sandwich. What about you? Well, I know that they're a UK band, and they refer to biscuits as like cookies. Oh, yeah, that's right. We say cookies, but they say biscuits. Just like they say crisps instead of chips. Correct. But for them, French fries are chips. Yes. But yeah, that's from watching a lot of British baking show. The biscuit episode is always mm. I'm like I'm like oh biscuits, but no no no. <laughs> so they name biscuit. It's like a but it's not a cookie. It's like a like what you have with tea. Yeah yeah yeah. Like you ever have a, a biscoff on an airplane on a Delta flight? I've had a bisque on off an airplane. Okay, that is the dumbest. He <laughs> can't even take it. He's cracked himself. <laughs> I had to think for a second. I'm like oh he's just being himself. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I've had a bisque I'm on s- off. <laughs> so dumb. Maybe the dumbest, dumbest thing I've ever said. I don't know about that. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. But uh, yeah, biscuit. I love biscuits. Yeah. And I'm sure I would love those biscuits. Mm. I, at, you know, at high tea. Love a Belvita. That was oh. my breakfast for the longest time. Dip those babies in a, in a cup of coffee. <laughs> Dip those babies. <laughs> Dip those babies with a nice cup of black coffee. Whether on a plane or off it. That's right. <laughs> um, let's get into vocals and lyrics. I think an interesting category here, definitely a somewhat polarized category here. Um, mm. I gave this an 8.5 with absolutely five going to the vocals yep. and the remaining 3.5 to the lyrics. Yeah. Because the lyrical prowess, we never talk about lyrical prowess. Or lack prowess, thereof is polarized on this record. Yeah. yeah, For every great line, there is a clumsy ass line. We'll talk about kind of the awkwardness of some of Beth Gibbons' language here. Mm. But I really like what she's striving for. Mm -hmm. And I love her themes, lyrically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think there are enough great lines to kind of counterbalance. So it's not a bad lyrical record, but it has lows. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, for me, I don't want to be too repetitive because I said it a lot on the, the previous episode, but it's just, it's, it suffers from this like crypticness where it's almost like too poetic where I'm just like, you're trying to sound cool and smart, but I just don't a hundred percent know what you're going for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, five out of five for vocal performance. I mean, sure. she has one of the best and and I knocked it a full two and a half points at, for the lyrics because I'm just like, there's a lot of misses. Yeah. A lot of misses. I think it's fair. I think when I saw your score, I said, yeah, that's fair. I gave it a little bit more. Just again, I think there are enough great moments. You know, nobody loves me. It's true. Not like you do. You know, those kinds of things where you're just like, yeah, that's a memorable lyric. It's well written, obviously very well sung, mm-hmm. which factors in here. Yeah. But then there's just these moments of awkward syntax uh, throughout the record. Strangers, did you realize for why this site belongs to you? Wandering star, like a husk from which all that was now has fled. Like, what, what does that mean? What the hell does that mean? That's what I'm saying. It's like, a what fire. does that mean? So let it be known for what we believe in, which is just so prepositionally clumsy. It's <sighs> almost like it's an addition to the Paul McCartney, but if this ever-changing world in which we live in, it's yeah. like in that pantheon of like, that's like three too many prepositions, bro. Like, you gotta be, <laughs> but if this ever-changing world in which we live in, from live and let die, like what yeah. the hell does that mean? <laughs> but yeah, so let it be known for what we believe in. <laughs> <laughs> like if you lose the for four, yeah. yeah, or for what we believe, that makes sense. Yep. But the for what we believe in doesn't. It negates the effectiveness. Maybe of that. it's the fact that they're British. It may be. It's very proper. And they're both British, Paul McCartney and Beth Gibbons. So, uh huh. You know, there may be something to Maybe that. Maybe they just use more prepositions over there across the pond. Uh huh. Even our beloved roads. I feel no more. Can I say? Is Yoda esque? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean. Maybe they just really love Frank Oz. Maybe, 
<laughs> so I don't know. Um, it's not enough for me to really ding it. And it's almost like she gets bonus points for vocals. I will say her vocal style is not for everyone. What do you mean her vocal style? Just like the, the I think vulnerable, the wispy, vulnerable, shaky mm. kind of thing. It's a hugely influential style. So there's that. But you know what it is for? This fucking music. Yeah. Can yeah. you imagine anyone else singing this music on this record? Hmm. These songs. I don't know. Tom Petty, maybe? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. David Gilmore, my favorite. Can you imagine? Um, you know what I mean? It's just the perfect voice for this music. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 8.5 for me, 7.5 for you, vocals and lyrics. Any lyrics you want to point out or you feel good? Oh, no, you did plenty. We will talk about our, our uh, laughable lyric at the end, but it's going to be one of those for me. I'll just, it'll be the McCartney light, I'm sure. <laughs> we also, we're, we're going to choose our time capsule in a little bit too, and I'm curious to see what your choice is mm. for that. Musicianship, musical prowess. This is where I feel like I was too cruel. You were way too cruel here. Yeah, Tell gave, him what you gave it. Gave him a seven out of 10. People, you heard those grooves. You know how this music was constructed. This is high degree of difficulty music played tastefully, musically, expressively. That's worth more than seven, man. I don't know. I gave it a nine. I know. I know. I, I, I feel bad. I think it's just because it was sampled and not like played live. Most of these drums are real. And then they sampled themselves. Clive Deemer is an amazing drummer. Of course, the drummer of Portishead, who's not like an official member, but he's the drummer on this record. Now the drummer, well, if they even exist anymore, was the second drummer of Radiohead for the past decade. I mean, incredible stick man. Yeah. That's a good way of putting a drummer. I've never heard a drummer called a stick man. <laughs> That's what Michael Rappaport used to call Prince. When Prince died and he was just like, you know, also we have to just note, incredible stick man. The guy could wield a stick. And he was talking about his uh, other kind of prowess. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> What's going on behind those uh, purple pantaloons? Oh, if only we could know. I think this is a this is a great example of musicians playing below their ability to serve a song. Because you can tell by the way they play these parts, the guitar parts, the bass parts, the, the drumming, that these guys are great musicians. Yeah, yeah. And but maybe it's ch choosing to play this way because it's like right. Yeah, and maybe that's why I gave it such right. a low score just because there's nothing with the exception of the glory box guitar solo where you're like oh my god he's so good at guitar you know right um for reference you gave dookie musicianship a seven you oh. gave illmatic a higher musicianship score than this does that seem right no all right give it a nine. Oh, you're going up two <laughs> fours no because i i screwed up okay genuinely going up two points okay it was a, it was a typo no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I actually believed you for a second. I'm usually like the liar on this show. Okay, musicianship a nine for you. Musician yeah, I'm no, glad we it, had needs, this it needs to. It needs to. Well, we I was also typing up my notes real late at night after a long day of work, and I was just tired trying to get it done because I thought we were recording on Sunday, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. like Saturday night, and I was like, I need to get this shit done. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I hate all things musical. Seven. <laughs> um, well, maybe I can convince you here in this last category, listenability and legacy. Maybe you can. Okay, so the reason my score is so low, which I gave a 7.5, correct? Correct. And you gave a, a 10. That's our biggest gap, I feel. On this record? On yeah. this record, for sure. And I guess, for me, I gave them a 4.5 out of 5 for listenability. Mm -hmm. I docked them a half point because I really need to be in a specific mindset to put this on. Like, I'm not going to put it on all the time but I'm almost never upset when it is on, if that makes sense. Yeah. By the way, I agree with that. You know, like, it's, this is not for all time. Right. But it's still something I 
would be happy to put on like far more than division bell or even like dookie at this point Mm -hmm. in my life and the legacy is where i docked its points because i just and maybe i'm just like uneducated or not up to date on a lot of current music that's being made right now but i just you never hear anyone be like oh portishead you gotta listen to portishead but at the same token the reason i still didn't dock it more points is because it was like the first of its kind and that's a big deal that's a huge deal yeah i think that may be like the deal and that's why that's part of the reason i gave it a five out of five for legacy and that's what resulted in my perfect 10 here um i love listening to it again it's like a warm embrace for mm. me i find it as much as it's unsettling music maybe thematically and tonally and sometimes harmonically it, it it works for me. Yeah, I find it comforting. But in terms of legacy, and then who, legacy, yeah, who has this impacted? The only band I can think of, and this is a pretty fucking huge band, is like Radiohead. Sure, like that. Like that's the only band I can think of that kind of sounds like this. Right, it's particularly in their later stuff, like uh, Moonshape Pool or or King of Limbs or something like that. I I think I have to think about it like this. As much as trip hop music came before Portishead. The winning of the Mercury Prize in 1995 and kind of the hit spawned from this that obviously have remained timeless, still still being listened to by millions, you know, seemingly weekly here uh, in uh, 2024. This was the album that put that genre on the map. Mm. And if we think of the other artists we've covered so far this season, Green Day is not a top three punk band of all time. They are not synonymous with punk rock. You would say, oh, Sex Pistols, Ramones, The Clash. Green Day would not be on that list. Stone Temple Pilots would certainly not be on the list of alternative rock acts. You would say Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. They would not be in that top tier, the Mount Rushmore, whatever you want to call it. As big as Illmatic is, I don't think Nas would be in that conversation for MCs as much as he should be. If you were thinking of 90s MCs, you would say Dre, Snoop, uh, B.I.G., Tupac, then Jay-Z later. He wouldn't be in that conversation. Pink Floyd... Absolutely is in their conversation for their world, but Division Bell wouldn't be that. Right. Portishead is the conversation for trip hop as far as the mainstream is concerned. Mm. You could point to Massive Attack, which are were never as big as Portishead, but are as important to the genre. And then like Tricky and like the sneaker pimp stuff like that. You don't even know know who they are. Exactly. Portishead is trip hop. Yeah. That's a legacy. Yeah. Just as Bob Marley is reggae. Right. You know what I mean? He Mm -hmm. wasn't the first person to do it, but he was the person who made it popular. And I do think elementally there's still stuff that you feel in music. Yeah, it, Radiohead, indie music, even mainstream dark pop music, Lord, I think would probably be like, yeah, I love it. Oh, yeah, I mean, for think sure. Think about Kendrick Lamar used her literally on the Miss Morale record. She's a guest vocalist in 2022. He's like, yeah, that's the voice for this kind of music, you know? So that's why I didn't even really even hesitate to give it that for legacy. And interestingly, I think the legacy of this has only grown. Pitchfork did a top 100 albums of the 90s back in 2003. And on that list, originally, Dummy came in at number 48. When they revisited that list in 2022, it was number 11. Wow. So it shows how this album has kind of crept up in people's esteem, maybe because of the influence it has, maybe because of just how well it's aged relative to some of the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. I also think that was kind of like, oh, right, female musicians are important too pitchfork you know what i mean like let's a little mea culpa for maybe front loading it with cox what (laughs) but you know i think that i think the early early 2000s list was kind of cock heavy and then they were like but still i'm not saying this isn't deserving this is absolutely deserving it should have been ranked higher initially but i don't know for those reasons i think it has more of a legacy than maybe you realize even though there aren't a lot of bands that sound like portishead that's kind of amazing too because 
that makes them special. Yeah. They no, were influential. They define a genre and they are singular. Yeah. So see, this is just my ignorance right. playing a role in not giving it a nearly high enough score. Right. 9.5 it is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. We'll update. <laughs> Record of the year by Chris the Elder and Chris the Elders influenced <laughs> Younger. Well, one thing that I realized even in my own grading of this category, listenability and legacy in previous episodes is I really should have looked more into how the album's regarded, how it lands on lists. You know, we talk about how albums sell. We talk about Spotify streaming numbers. We talk about bands that were influenced by the record. But I don't think we think enough about like lists, rankings, things like that. I don't think those are everything that's, you know, it'd be like if we wrote a list. This isn't definitive. When we finish the season, it's us two idiots yeah. version of 1994. You know, I hope we're thoughtful. I hope that we give everything a fair shake. Obviously, you're hearing the process in real time right now. But it's still good to get a sense of like, Oh, what's the energy around this record? And what I see when I look back at Dummy is like, there's still energy about this record. And I'm not sure there is about any of their peers. Fair enough. All right. Before we get into our uh, kind of score breakdown from the season so far, let's talk about our raddest riff from the record, our laughable lyric, and our time capsule selection. What's the song from this record that you'd be sad if didn't exist? Uh, for me, the raddest riff is absolutely that symbolum sample from Sour Times. So that symbolism is a Hungarian kind of hammer dulcimer instrument. Mm. And that's a sample from a 1968 Mission Impossible soundtrack. Really? And that to me is like one of the most interesting uses of a sample on this or any album. I love it. It's so signature. So that's my, my raddest riff. The second I hear it, it makes me happy. That was absolutely the first Portishead song I ever heard. It was played on WCBY, which was my high school radio station. And uh, it still excites me to hear it today. I'd never have gotten sick of it in 30 years. I, I mean, I've probably been hearing that song for 25 years, and I still love it. That's great, man. All right. Raddest riff for you, Christopher. Had to be the guitar solo from Glory Box. Yeah. It's pretty great. That is great. Yours is a deeper cut than mine, but yeah. Yeah, well, in a way, I think the guitar solo is probably not the first thing people think of when they think of Glory Box. So in a way, that's a pretty deep cut. I think they would think of the bass line, the descending bass line, obviously Beth Gibbons' vocals, um, obviously the strings. But then it's like, oh yeah, and there's a fiery solo. Yeah, exactly. That's sick. Um, laughable lyrics. I'll just go with the addition to the McCartney canon there. Uh, just one of the awkward prepositional phrases. You, you just pick one. That's that's it. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of mine too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, for Time Capsule, I've I've tended to go chalk here. I've tended to go with the most significant song from a record. Mm. But I've always defined Time Capsule as either the most impactful song or the song that you just couldn't imagine never hearing again. Yeah. And that's what won this time cuz Rhodes is absolutely my Time Capsule selection cuz I don't want to live in a world where that doesn't exist. Mm. I'm with you. Rhodes. 
that was my choice, but because you already chose it, it goes in the playlist. That means I get to choose Glory Box. Hey, all right. <laughs> and I would have done the same if you did the opposite. Perfect. But but Rhodes is the one. Bit of a bit of a loophole there for us getting for to, sure. getting to hold on to two. But yeah, it would kill me to never hear Rhodes again. Yeah. But it would also kind of kill me to never hear Glory Box again. Right. So yeah. I was heartened to see that the second most streamed song from the record is not Sour Times. It's, in fact, Rhodes. Isn't that great? 101 million streams. So it's clearly found an audience, even though it was never a single. Right. I don't know if it was used I, I wonder something. if it... Yeah, I was going to say, maybe it's in a movie or something. Yeah. I don't know. But I'm glad. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but, uh, Chris, that was very long-winded. So let's just do a quick recap of our score, just sure. so we have a nice solidified answer for the listeners. So in terms of production... I gave it an eight, and you gave a nine. For song score, my average was seven point eight two. Chris, you were eight point two three. For vocals, I gave it a good old fashioned seven point five, whereas you were eight point five. Musicianship, equal scores now nine uh-huh, apiece. Uh-huh. And legacy, I gave it a nine point five, and you have a perfect ten. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's fine. Making a total score of eighty six point five five. Quite good. Quite good. Actually, in fact, your alterations vaulted it into second place on our list. So, Oh, my God. Spoiler alert. Before we get into our score breakdown, because, frankly, if you haven't listened to all of our episodes and you don't want to know the scores that we've already discussed, maybe now's about the time to turn this off. But I will say on our next episode, Chris, what album will we be discussing? Super Unknown. By, oh yeah, right, 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 right. Sound Garden, the Garden of Sound. The band was kind of unknown to me. I wouldn't say it was super unknown, but once you said it, I was like, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. They have they have sown the seeds in the garden. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's right. So Sound Garden, super unknown on our next episode. Uh, if you're living now, thanks for listening. Yeah, let's continue on. We are five episodes deep. We're five albums deep. Let's check in with our ranking currently. Christopher, let's start off with our overall album score so far. What's the number five record on our list currently? If you've been listening, this should come as no surprise. But coming in at number five of five is Division Bell by Pink Floyd. With a score of 71.64. Yeah, out of 100, that passes. It's actually not terrible. No. It's nice that that's the worst thing we've heard because... I think you would agree with me. We're That's not have, a bad record. No, it's no, not at all. And I have a feeling we're going to have a couple failing scores. Oh, I can't. I honestly can't wait for a terrible record. <laughs> We've had some very good records so far yeah. and a nice variety, I think, of terrible, of, of great. <laughs> <laughs> I want a variety of terrible records and a variety of great records. I think we're at least halfway there. What we're saying is we love variety. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Number four on our list currently is Dookie by Green Day. Yeah. Yeah. Their score, 79.49, just shy of 80, but a good score. Yeah, Does that C surprise plus. you that C? it would be fourth among these records? Uh, no, no. We've talked about five pretty damn good records. Right. So for it to be four out of five, I think it makes sense. But, you know, it lost points in production. It lost points in song score by being too many songs. And it lost points in, in musicianship for being just sort of power chords. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. We were pretty lockstep in our scores there, too. Very, very closely aligned. You know, yeah. always within a point of one another, which is uh, nice to see. I love that. And that was, frankly, how it kind of worked out for a lot of these records Almost up until Floyd. These. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to go through some specific categories once we get through the albums themselves, and we'll get into more of that, I think. Like, 
what is the best produced record so far? What is the best played record, best song? We'll talk about those momentarily. Number three on the list, Christopher. That's going to be yet another rock record. Purple, STP, coming in at an 86.46. That's right. Up until about two minutes ago, it was in second place. Now (laughs) (laughs) Now it ain't. But it's funny because, you know, if we're looking at scores, obviously this is tough because it's an auditory medium, but Division Bell, 71.64, Dookie, 79.49, and then Purple, 86.46. So those are all about seven or eight points apart from each other. Mm. The top three are all very close. Yeah, within two points. Like within two points of each other. So that's a big jump. Right. We, we've jumped massively between Division Bell and Dookie uh, and now coming into the top three. So yeah, a solid B. But it's interesting. Like when you hear of a four-star movie, that means kind of a masterpiece. Like it's rare that a five-star movie is granted. I, I don't know why that is. Star systems kind of suck. I like our more nuanced approach. Mm-hmm. I think if we're talking mid-80s, we're talking about a borderline masterpiece. Yeah, absolutely. Like, for instance, our number one, because we just established that Dummy is number two. Right. Our number one is Illmatic currently. 88.6. Even Illmatic isn't in the 90s. I don't know how many 90s we're going to get. I know, right? I think about that a lot. Yeah. But that's true of Metacritic scores too. There's very few hundreds on Metacritic. Like once you get into kind of a cumulative scoring scenario. Yeah, it's borderline impossible. Yeah. So I think we're seeing right now where the best albums will kind of fall. Yeah. It'll be probably between 85 and what, 90? 90, yeah. You know? If anything breaks 90 or 91, that's, I mean, that's a big deal. Right. So again, Illmatic number one, Dummy by Portishead number two, which is about where I thought it would fall. And then your scores came in and I was like, well, I was wrong about that. And then you're like, wait, I was wrong about everything. (laughs) So (laughs) as per usual, I think it's where it should be, honestly. And then purple, literally what? nine-tenths of a percent behind. I mean, very, right. very close. Right. Uh, purple at 86.46. And then Dookie and Division Bell, not a travesty, but nowhere near the level of these other records. Exactement, mon ami. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about songs. Okay, sure. Our lowest scoring songs so far. <laughs> this is cumulative? Between the both of us. Okay. I'm gonna, we'll talk about our individuals in a sec. Kind of no surprises in the top two. All By Myself by Green Day and The Genesis by Nas, the novel opening track and novel closing track respectively. Actually, strike that, reverse it, but you get what I mean. I do. Uh, Those are both 11s. Yeah, yeah. So 5.5 average. And you really like All By Myself. I gave that a four. You gave it a seven. Okay. So you're like, actually, I kind of dig that track. There's real songs on that record you gave a lower score. Yeah, well, it's because it makes me laugh so much. Sure. And that has value. Yeah. Yeah. And the guitar part is actually pretty good. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I actually looked at FOD, the score that we gave that, just to see how much higher it would have been. And it, I think we gave it a 14.5 collectively. Okay. That still would have been the lowest scoring closing track on that record. On uh, a record uh, on that we've discussed. We've talked yes. About. Okay. So I was like, you know what? It's fine either way. You know? Yeah. Um, the Genesis, of course, just kind of a fun but kind of throwaway introductory track. Um, number three, this is the first quote unquote real song on our list. And it's only half a point better. <laughs> Take It Back by Pink Floyd. I think you were unfairly harsh to that song. You gave it a 4.5, which is really like, that means it sucks. And as much as I joked, Take It Back kind of sucks. I mean, I think that's a really well-written, well-sung song that's pretty well-produced. Like, that's really, lo- I gave it a 7. Is that the schmaltzy one? Like The one that sounds like you too. 
Oh, okay, yeah, I've oh, got, got. No, no, no. You gave a lower score. Great day for freedom. Okay, which that's is the actually, one I'm thinking of. That's actually number five on our list, but very polarized. You gave it a three. I gave it a nine for a total of twelve. Right. But I kind of love that song, and you thought it was schmaltzy garbage, trash. <laughs> and a number four, just a middle of the road song, which is funny. Chump. Okay. By Green Day. We both gave it a six. There you go. Okay, our highest scoring songs collectively. We've got two perfect scores so far. Ooh. The World is Yours by Nas at 20 and Roads by Portishead. We've mentioned them both today, but uh, just wanted to point that out. That is some rarefied air right there as far as we're concerned. Yeah. Though no someone here is a little loose with the 10s and someone's a little tight. We're going to talk about hey that now, in a moment. Hey now, relax. Our second highest scoring songs. Oh, it's Nas again and Portishead. <laughs> again. New York State of Mind with 19 and Glory Box tied at 19. I love that Nas and, and Portishead have the four highest scoring songs. And you know what? They're the top two albums, so it kind of makes sense. Sure does. Okay, and then a big tie at number three here, which 18.5 is the score for our third best. Basket Case, Welcome to Paradise, Kitchenware and Candy Bars by Stone Tone Pilots, and Memory Lane, Sitting in Depok. Nice. By Nas. <laughs> so those are all 18.5s. That's our top three scores. Uh, I think we'll see some more 20s before the uh, year is done, but I do think they'll be hard to come by. I imagine there'll be fewer than 10 by the end of the season. Probably. If I probably especially because you're just so tight and so restrictive with your... With your point getting. Someone on this show has to uh, have standards. Yes. Though I was loose with the points with Portishead. You were stingy. I was stingy. You're the stingy Chris. Indeed. Okay. Let's talk about the highest scoring song from each record. Ooh, this is a fun one. Yeah. So Dookie has a tie with Basket Case and Welcome to Paradise. As I just mentioned, 18.5. We both really love those songs. So I believe you gave those both 10s and I gave them both 8.5s. There you go. Of course, my highest scoring song. On Dookie was having a blast, which is still one of my most pleasant surprises. And that was only a nine? Season. That was a nine. Okay. I don't think it's a perfect 10, but great song. Purple, Kitchenware and Candy Bars, 18.5. Such a good song. Amazing song. I, was, I actually assumed that it was one of the singles that made that, that would have been in this place. And then I looked, I was like, oh, sweet. We have taste. This is yeah. nice. <laughs> I love the singles, but I love Kitchenware and Candy Bars. What was uh, the third here? That's going to be on Illmatic, The World Is Yours, it 20. Two nice. perfects. Division Bell, High Hopes, another closer. 17.5, but for that album, <laughs> good. It's pretty good. Very good. It means you didn't loathe it. Yeah, yeah. And then look at that. Another Perfect 20 Roads off of Dummy. I can't wait for an album where there's a tie at the top at 20. I think that'll happen. Actually, Blue Album will probably have that. Yeah, true. Because I have a feeling My Name is Jonas and Say It Ain't So are going to be that. Probably. At least, yeah. You know. Um, we've actually already scored Blue Album from our previous show, so I'm sure we already know. I just don't have it in front of me. <laughs> That's a really good point. That's a really good point. That's going to be the easiest prep. That'll be the easiest show prep when we talk about Blue. By the way, I don't think we've ever mentioned it, but we are saving that for the final episode of this season. Yeah, just to tie everything all together. With a this nice whole this is bow. basically one big convoluted Blue Album battle. It's every album <laughs> we score, and then we put up the Blue Album score and see how it does yeah. overall. Yeah. Uh, but I do think song score, it'll, it'll do great. Oh, 100%. There's no question. Okay. My top songs. Obviously, I have my two tens. World is Yours and Roads. At number two, coming in at 9.5, I've got five songs. Interstate Love Song by STP. Hell yeah. Big Empty by STP. One love, one love, one love. Your favorite by Dawes. I can't believe you gave that a 9.5. It's fine. What a, what a track. And then High Hopes. By Pink Floyd, I gave a 9.5, and then Glory Box, as we've talked about earlier. And then I have a lot of nines, but most notably, I like having a blast. I just think that is, uh, again, a pleasant surprise. I forgot that song existed, and I'm so glad to have been reminded of the fact. Super cool song. I'm with you, man. 
and my top songs can't even break it down because I got eight tens because oh I'm just God. giving them out like We've candy only bars. Done five records, giving them out like candy <laughs> bars, baby. Uh, it's an eight-way tie with tens. Here we go. Longview, Welcome to Paradise, Basket Case, and then from. Purple, we've got Silver Gun Superman from Ill- Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, from Illmatic, I had New York State of Mind, World is Yours, sitting in Depak, and then <laughs> Rhodes off of Dummy. So eight songs that I absolutely adore. This is an interesting thing to look at here, our opening track so far. We just mentioned a lot of 20s, 19s, 18.5s. Our highest scoring opening track so far is a 14. And it's Meat Plow and Mr. Ons. Two songs, they were both your lowest scoring songs of those respective records. Whoa, what a stat. <laughs> what a stat. That's, that could be a song, Meat Plow and Mr. Ons. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's like Rizzoli and Isles. <laughs> Meat Plow and Mr. Ons. <laughs> Jesus. Meat, I, Meat Plow is just such a... Ugh. It makes me feel weird. It's filthy. Yeah. It is filthy. I mean, we're bound to have some great openers, but maybe this was just a shitty error for opening tracks. I, I don't know. We're, yeah, we're it remains see. to be seen. I mean, I can think of a couple just like offhand from the records we're due to discuss that would be up there, but like, it's not obvious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would have to, we'll have to find out at the end. Yeah. Because I don't really know a lot of the opening tracks offhand, so. Right. Uh, I would say my name is Jonas is the leader in the clubhouse, though, for sure. Love that. Top closing track, much more competitive here. Mm. Today's entry is number one currently. Glory Box with a 19 is our best closing track so far. In second, Kitchenware and Candy Bars by STP. Yes. Amazing song. So happy to see that. In third, High Hopes. Yeah. Maybe not the best record, but man, what a great closer. And then I kind of doomed this Nas one, Ain't Hard to Tell, uh, 16.5. Yeah, that one still surprises me. And that's one I'm not going to change my opinion on. Right. You know what I've done since, actually, because when we were talking, I hadn't yet brought the audio into Logic. Mm. I always bring in the songs after. If we want to listen to something, we'll listen to it on Spotify when we're talking, and then um, I'll put in the proper audio after, like ripped from my CDs. When you look at the waveform of Ain't Hard to Tell, I kind of mentioned it having no center. Yeah. It's almost like a slim little worm in the center and then stabs for kicks and snares. In other words, there isn't actually a lot of sonic material in that low mid-range there's not mm. a lot of like oral energy for okay. lack of a better term, in the heart of the frequency range and in the dynamic range mm. it's like kick snare and then a thin texture and then voice yeah, yeah and just yeah. seeing it i was like see that looks like what i hear now i'm not saying that's disqualifying but i am saying like it's kind of cluttered in its use of sampling and I don't think it sounds nearly as good as any other track on the record. The only saving grace is the lyrics are incredible and the performance is incredible. There you go. Which I still gave it a seven. I mean, it was a good score, but like Glory Box, Kitchen Wearing Candy Bars, High Hopes. I mean, these are some of the best songs we'll probably talk about all season. Mm. And Ain't Hard to Tell for Me is not on that list, but it probably would be on yours. And I bet if you're a fan of Nas, it'd be on yours as well. Yep, definitely. Um, and then All By Myself is an 11, like I said. FOD, 14.5, still would have been last place on this list. Right, right. Best lyricist we've talked about, Chris. Who is it for you? For me, it's obvious it's Nas. Nas. Yeah, okay. No question. Best singer? This is more interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't call it a tie. I would probably say Gibbons, Beth Gibbons, number one. Mm. And then um, what's his face from STP, number two? Scott Weiland. Scott Weiland. So you prefer Weiland to David Gilmore? Yes. Okay. And you had reservations about Weiland. Yeah, but going back and, and listening to it, I definitely think he is a really fantastic singer. 
And and he's got more range. He's got more uh what's the word? versatility in mm. his voice than than uh what's his face from Floyd? David Gilmore. Thank you. Okay, I'm looking at the scores here. You gave vocal and lyrics an eight for Division Bell and a seven for Purple. Was that lyrical more than vocal? Yeah, I think so. Okay. And I gave an 8.5 to Division Bell and an 8.5 to Purple, and I prefer David Gilmore over Wylan, but it is close. I bet. You also have lived with both of those. Oh, my God. My whole life. My whole conscious life, basically. Yeah. Very true. Gibbons is just a, a, a little below that for my personal. So this isn't score-based. This is personal taste. I mm. would rather hear David Gilmore's voice than anyone we've talked about, and that may be true even by season's end. You know, there's other singers I love that we'll talk about this year. Kurt Cobain, Michael Stipe. <laughs> I mean, mm. Uh, mm. So, uh, Rivers Cuomo. Three pretty polarizing people. I wouldn't say Rivers Cuomo is terribly polarizing. I think most people like his voice, but right. I, I think Kurt Cobain and, and Michael Stipe both incredibly I polarizing. Because we're going to talk about Unplugged by Nirvana. Just for Where Did You Sleep Last Night alone, that is one of the great vocal performances I've ever heard. If mm. you watch him sing that song, that Lead Belly cover, it is like astonishingly powerful. And it still moves me to this day. And it's a great vocal. It's not yeah. just because it's powerful. But that's the thing. He's not a good singer. Oh, I think he is. I think he is. Wow. I think live he can be a bad singer, but I think he has an amazing sense of pitch, melody, a great tonal quality to his voice. I was actually playing In Bloom with a drum student last night at his house, and I, I was playing guitar with him. And like singing the verses, they're so low. And then the choruses are so high that I'm just like, God, he just effortlessly sings this huge range, you know? And I'm like dying, like trying to hit the low <laughs> notes and the high notes. It gave me a different respect for Kurt, honestly, mm. as a singer. Though if anyone who's ever tried to sing like Smells Like Teen Spirit, even Kurt Cobain, frankly, who's not very good at singing it live, you realize, Jesus Christ, what is this guy, Getty Lee? Like, it's so high. Yeah. I, I love the sound of Kurt Cobain's voice. It's one of the things I love about him the most, quite honestly. But that is a very subjective thing. You know, it's just like how sounds rattle around in our brains. And for me, that's a, I, I like that rattle. There you go. And for you, it's a death rattle. Well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You always throw me under the bus. <laughs> death rattle. That's just not right. Um, last thing before we get into a couple of the category things I wanted to talk about. Which of these five records are you most inclined to listen to? What would be the highest listenability score for you right now? Mm, good question. Not what you gave it, but where you feel right now. I'm just curious. <sighs> like what am I most likely to put on? Yeah, and of course, this is after really digging into digging all of these into all of them and spending a lot of time, way more time than we ever would casually. Good point. I would say it's a coin toss between Dummy and Illmatic. Yeah, probably that makes sense. Yeah, for me, it's a coin toss for completely different reasons between Dummy and Purple. Oh, really? Oh, I love Purple. Yeah, no, I I know you do. Purple I... is like a more pleasurable listen, mm. but Dummy I love more. Okay. The sound, you know, so, you know, purple is less like fun. Let me put on purple and just sing along and yeah. have a blast. Well, that's the thing. With the exception of Division Bell, I would be pretty excited to listen to any of these. Sure. So. Right. Let's talk a little bit about our individual album list because they are not the same and they do not reflect our collective list. Okay. Just real quick, our scores. So your top record is Illmatic at 45.55. My number one record as far as score is actually Dummy. I noticed that. At 44.37. One thing I will say is I don't look at my other scores while I'm scoring a record. Only if I'm like, mm, I'm not sure about production. What did I give Dookie? You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. If they're similar albums, that hasn't arisen. Maybe musicianship, it's come up once or twice. Maybe for vocals, it's come up once or twice. But by and large, I kind of do these in a vacuum and then yeah, just yeah. see where it falls. In right. fact, I didn't know my total score until this morning. There you when go. When I was kind of putting these notes finally together. Um, so 
dummy, 44.37, you're 45.55. So uh, both pretty high scores. You, you A little more generous. By a touch. <laughs> I know, I'm joking. <laughs> By good. a touch. And then uh, my number two is purple at 43.73. Illmatic. As is mine. Nice. Purple's like number two in like every category. It's one of those yeah. funny things. And then uh, for my number three, it's Illmatic at 43.05. So still in that 43 range. Uh, my lowest is Division Bell at 37.05. And of course, your lowest is Division Bell at 34.59. Which is not as far away as... I would have expected. I remember it to we be. were surprised at the end of last episode when we saw that. Yeah. You really dinged it in the song score, but on the other categories, yeah. you were at times more generous than I. Yeah. And it's justified. And by far the lowest listenability and legacy score that we gave collectively was Division Bell at 10.5 because we mm. both determined it wasn't something we were inclined to listen to tomorrow. And it didn't really have much of an influence on subsequent music right if it was again one of their 70s records it'd be a five out of five in that regard yes. have a much higher overall score the next closest is dookie and purple at 17 because yeah. you changed your dummy score i just looked and this is the old score here but now that would be higher right yeah 18.5 18.5 right and illmatic at 18.5 as well so yeah so equivalence the best musicianship we've heard collectively purple for sure 19 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i will be pleasantly surprised if anything beats that i don't know if we'll have a 20 if that didn't get it, I don't know. I know what you mean. Who's better? I'll be intrigued to know. I remember I made that case. I was like, who's better than that? And I was like, wait, you gave it a nine. I'm not going <laughs> to. But I don't think we're about to talk about Soundgarden. I do not think that's a better, technically a better band. Their music is perhaps more complex, but I'm not sure they're actually better or more thoughtful than STP. I haven't done my notes for it. I don't know yet. But right. listening to the record, for my taste, I don't think it yeah, is. Yeah, I was going to say maybe somebody like a... I don't know. I'm thinking of like the... Super, you mentioned Pearl Jam. Like the Shredders. No, yeah, and I don't think Pearl Jam is on that level, but I'm thinking like the Shredders, like like a Steve Vai or a Joe Satriani or something, because uh, like yeah. they, those guys, in terms of just musicianship and chops, right. and songwriting, genuinely. I'm thinking it, of stuff we would talk about, though. Those aren't right. on our list. Yeah, obviously. I know. I well, mean, I'm just, I'm literally trying to think of humans, anyone better yeah, yeah, yeah. at this point. Right. You know? I don't know. I don't know. Here's, here's my biggest thing with that. There are absolutely more proficient players. There are very few bands that collectively use their musical proficiency as tastefully and as well and as appropriately as a band like Stone Temple Pilots for mm. what they're trying to do. Actually, a band that I love from the 90s, unfortunately, their album that I love from them was from 95, so we won't talk about it in this season, but um, Blind Melon, I know yeah, they are up there them. as well because of their actual individual ability and just the way they arrange their songs, the way the drums interact with the bass line, the way the two guitarists interact on the far ends of the stereo spectrum and kind of weave around one another. It's really kind of unparalleled in alternative rock. Yeah. Oh, you know who might be able to give them a run for their money? And it's not necessarily a band that I absolutely love, but it just in terms of their playing ability. Tool. It, that's a good point. That's not who I was thinking okay, of. Who That's not say? who I was going to say Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, okay. Because, I mean, Flea, arguably one of the best bass players in pop music. I mean, I would say the best bass player in pop music, mm. uh, in popular culture. And then uh, I'm freaking... Um, what, why am I John blanking Frishante? on? Thank you. Yeah, Frashante is an absolute savage. Right. And and Kiedis, as polarizing as his voice can be, he's a damn good vocalist. Mm. Okay, we don't agree there, but... <laughs> okay. He can have a good quality to his voice. I agree with you there. Yeah, because he can do the he could do the rap thing. He can syncopate his voice. He can and his his voice is not horrible. And then uh, Chad Smith. Chad Smith, great pocket guy. Yeah, I love his touch on drums. Yeah. It's very different than Eric Kretz from Sundown Pilots, but 
amazing yeah. for what it is. I feel like that might Their be... rhythm section is incredible. Right. Uh, John Frusciante, I think, is a much more limited guitarist than someone like Dean DeLeo. Really? You think so? Yes. I think Frusciante has his thing, but mm. if he leaves that thing, I don't think he's a very interesting guitarist. I think he's a very interesting musician. Like his solo records, his yeah, electronic that's what music, I, that's kind of what I'm stuff. thinking. But I'm talking about his lines in Red Hot Chili Peppers. To me, it's like he can do that thing. And we listen to Stone Old Pilots and we hear the thick, chunky riffs, but we also hear Pretty Penny. And we also hear slide guitar on Big Empty. And we also, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we hear very delicate playing on something like Kitchen Wearing Candy Bars. So I just think there's a wider variety. And of course, there's I Could Have Lied off of, you know, Blood Sugar Sex. We're talking about 1991 record, but Blood Sugar Sex Magic, Breaking the Girl, which is more chord oriented. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then all the great riffs on that record, which are awesome. Um, but as a lead guitarist, he could never play what Dean DeLeo does on Silver Gun Superman, for instance. I got you. Yeah. So that's what I kind of yeah. mean. Just more variety and just a higher ceiling. Mm -hmm. And also, frankly, I just like what Dean DeLeo does more. I Yeah, I get you. And by the way, I like him a lot better than Kim Thiel as well. Kim Thiel, I don't know how to say. The guitarist from uh, Soundgarden. Oh, gosh. Gotcha, the guy yeah. with the beard, you know. Right, right. I love Soundgarden songwriting. I love their rhythm section, or at least their rhythmic sensibility. Mm. But uh, the lead stuff, it feels a little like, I don't know what to do over this. So I'll just use a wah-wah pedal and play a bunch of notes. <sighs> and I'll have more nuanced takes on that when we talk when we about our episode. But right now, that's not what excites me about that record. I'm excited about that record, but it's not about the lead guitar. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. It's so funny. I have to keep separating Soundgarden from Audio Slave because every time I think about Soundgarden, I always get those two confused because mm. of Chris Cornell. But um, yeah. And you can't really count Audio Slave because they're like a super group. So. I don't even think about Audio Slave. I'm aware of them, but they, I miss them completely. Mm. I've never owned a record. I don't yeah. think I've ever heard more than three songs. And I don't really need them in my life. I like Rage. I like Soundgarden. I think Audio Slave is good. I just don't need them. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> them Crooked Vultures in terms of musicianship could could go up mm, there. That's true. A completely different era, though. That was like in the 2010s. Oh, I know. I know. Oh, okay. You're just thinking like of all time. I, yeah. Well, then I, we would say Rush, yes, King Crimson. You know, we could point to a lot of it. Fish. Fish is a way better band than any of these bands. Gotcha. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like they yeah, can yeah. play circles around these bands. Whether we like what they do with that talent is another story. Right. Any of Zappa's bands, you know, I'm thinking of Piers. And I still don't think Pearl Jam is as good. I love Pearl Jam. And I especially love this era of Pearl Jam, the early to mid-90s Pearl Jam, all day. Love it. I don't think they think about music on a, as deep a level as STP. And I think it shows in their song craft. There you go. As much as I love their songs. It's just a different thing. Okay. Uh, any surprises in the scores now that we've kind of looked over all of them, does mm. anything stand out to you as like, man, I'm still shocked that da 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 da. I'm actually shocked that Dookie is this low and it, because I think it's way more, I mean, it sold 20 million records. It's one of the best known records we will ever talk about. Right, yeah. And it's, we gave it a good score, but. Yeah, it's the most well known of the, of the five. For sure. But just because something is well known and popular doesn't necessarily make it amazing. Right. And That's it's not, and it's not bad. No, That's the thing. It's, it's great. I mean, I think it's awesome. Yeah. So I think it'll be the highest scoring punk record we talk about. We have not done the Offspring uh, or No Effects or No Effects yet, but like I think it will absolutely be the highest scoring of those. Yeah. Even if I like some of the others better in some way, like Bad Religion, I could see liking more than Dookie. I don't know if it's better. Mm. It's true, particularly that record. If we were talking about a different No Religion or a Bad Religion record, it might be a different, uh, gotcha. different story. But yeah, yeah. It'll be fun to talk about when we do. Absolutely. So I guess that's fair. It may just be a limitation of the genre. And just like, you have to give points for degree of difficulty sometimes. Yeah. And what Nas is doing, what STP is doing, what Ports is doing, is just more interesting and complex than what Dookie was trying to do. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. 
Yeah, of course. Uh, one other thing that's it's a surprise that's not a surprise, if that makes sense. Mm. All of the scores, in terms of our current album ranking, stacked up exactly how I thought they would. Oh, that's interesting. So I'm pleasantly surprised that everything is kind of stacked up exactly how I predicted it would. I think that shows the efficacy of this approach. Because we're so smart. No, no, <laughs> no, no. No, I'm just kidding. Because we are, again, scoring these things in a vacuum. We're trying to hear this music for what it is. And I'm not like, I got to make sure I hit 44 with this one or 40. I'm just scoring it based on like, let's see, production. Well, that well, two points off maybe for sequencing. Blah, blah. And what does it end up looking like? What it should look like. Yeah. It's great. But it's like confirmation. You know what I mean? It's like Absolutely, the elements yeah. add up. And I think that's really cool. You know? Yeah. We're trying to objectify subjective things. Right. And honestly, like, that's why, like, those pitchfork lists and stuff, as much as I brought it up as kind of an argument for the legacy of Dummy, I mean, based on what? Right. 11th, because what? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, In it's what always, way? it's someone's opinion. It's always, like, one person's opinion or a group of three people's opinion. And granted, it's, this show is two people's opinion. Right. Um, but I think the only place where our subjective, you know, personality and preference comes in is arguably song score and listenability. Yep. So that's a total of 15 total points out of the 50 we could give. Right. And I also think that we're pretty fair with the song score. I think I'm actually perhaps more fair than you, even though I get fewer tens, because like I've given some good scores to songs I really don't like because they're good songs. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, and if you don't like something, you're just like 4.5. Fuck that thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I shoot from the hip a little bit more than right. you. And, and so in other words, I try to even negate the subjectivity there. The only place it comes out for me is would I want to listen to this? Yeah. And even like my favorite band we've talked about, Pink Floyd, it was like a three, like for listenability for me. Right, right. And that's that's literally five points out of 50. Yeah. 10 out of 100. So I'm sure at some point I'll give a zero in listenability where I'm just like, this fucking sucks. Like, wow. I don't think we'll do the Pantera record, but I, I never liked Pantera, even when I liked heavy music. Yeah. I think I'll hate it now if we were to do it. No offense. I'll go in with an open mind, of yeah. course. Pantera did uh, Cowboys from Hell, right? Yeah. That's I right. like that song. The Great Southern Trend Kill. Yeah. And then, but the one uh, Far Beyond Driven is the record from this year. Gotcha. Like, honestly, even like Alice in Chains. Now, I like Alice in Chains a lot, but like, I never was into them like I was into the other alternative bands. Mm. I'm actually excited to study Jar of Flies when we get there because yeah, I don't have a relationship with it. Besides, Nutshell is one of my all time favorite songs. Okay. It will probably be a 10, spoiler alert. And that's No Excuses is no on No Excuses that one? on that, which you love. I love that yeah, song. It's a great song. But like, my point is like, we'll talk about music that I have less of a relationship with. And then we'll see how it kind of stacks up. But yeah. I will always try to be fair. And I think these scores are fair. I think that's what you were saying was like, yeah, sounds about right. Mm -hmm. yeah, and so I'm really hoping, sorry to cut you off, oh, but I'm thinking, now tell me if I'm wrong. By the time the show is discovered, we're going to have job offers from Rolling Stone and Pitchfork. We're going to be the list men. Coming our way. <laughs> I will say, here's the value of doing it like this. No top whatever list of 1994 records would have purple as high as we have it. But we've only talked about. But it, it's going to be up there. It's like an 86. Again, we talked about the top tier. It's going to be in the top tier. Even if it's top 10, that's still higher than Rolling Stone would have it, I'm sure. Pitchfork, mm. there's no way. I could look right now and see what it is, but there's no way it's top 10. But it deserves to be. There you go. If you actually take it for what it is, it actually deserves to be. Yeah. Because I would argue it, it may be the best alternative record of this year. And this is a year with Nirvana, Pearl Jam, REM, Live, Hole, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, all the big hitters. They all have records this year. And STP may have the best one. And it would be not ranked that highly. Why? Because it's fucking STP. 
Right. And fuck that. Yeah, exactly. Listen to the music. That's right. Listen to the singing. Listen to the production. You're like, that's awesome rock and roll. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's critical darling bands that deserve it, and there's critical kind of pariahs that don't deserve it. Yeah. You know, and everything in between. Like Nirvana. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> the Nir- luckily Nirvana we're... is an average band. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun to do Unplugged. Uh, I don't know what our next five are going to be. Maybe we'll talk about it once we hang up right now. Yeah. Uh, hang up like we're on the phone. I'm literally sitting a foot from you. Um, but once we uh, kind of sign off um, and figure out kind of our game plan for the next five, uh, cool. uh, just so we have kind of, we'll always look for variety. So yeah. if we are doing Soundgarden next week, safe to say we're not doing Pearl Jam the week after. Exactly. Exactly. At the very least, we have Soundgarden on deck. We're a rock show when it comes down to it. All varieties of rock, be it classic, alternative, punk, hard, we're doing it. Yeah. But I like that we will do Boys to Men. We will do TLC. We'll definitely do more hip hop. We're going to do Notorious B.I.G. We'll do Beastie Boys. You know, there's still a lot of variety. And you know what I'm excited about? Stuff like Dave Matthews Band. Oh, man, it's going to be fun. Even though I don't love that. Like, I'm just saying, it's such a different thing to talk about. Yeah. And freaking Hootie. Yeah, Hootie, uh, Blues Traveler. I don't know if we'll do full episodes on all these, but like, they will definitely be scored. They have to be. We've got to score them. They're important records. And of course, we've got our one for Chris. I don't think we ever actually said what our one for Chrissy's are. Maybe we have, but let's just say them right now. What is your one for Chrissy this year, 1994? Uh, it's a little album called Swampophilia by my beloved Indigo Girls. Swampophilia? Is that like hemophilia? I hope not. <laughs> That's right. You got to control the blood flow. Oh, geez. <laughs> and and what's, what's yours, Chris? Unsurprisingly, even though, honestly, I don't particularly love this record, but I'll be intrigued to study it for the first time ever, uh, Hoist by Fish. Yay, Fish. Fish has a 94 record. Yay. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I can justify Neil Young being a legacy act, so that can just be in the mix anyway. <laughs> but uh, the Fish one, I would not have chosen. But once you mentioned Indigo Girls when we were kind of coming up with this concept, I was like, oh, then we should probably do the Fish record. Yeah, true. Uh, but I mean, Swampophilia is arguably their third best record. Okay. It's like very highly regarded by their fans. Gotcha. So... It's going to be a fun one to talk about. And they're having a moment, of course, with Barbie. Oh, yeah. That's big. Yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan that uh, they've come back to the surface for the next generation. Me too. Surfacing, though that was a uh, Sarah McLaughlin record, of course. I didn't even know that. <laughs> Unfortunately, not from 94. I would love to talk about a little McGlock. Love a Glock. <laughs> She's an angel. Um, well, I, I mean, I guess on that hilarious note, I'll yep. say this is Chris. <laughs> this is also Chris. <laughs> and that's another record, record of, of the year. year. Yeah.